Yeah, you can hear Batty porking, which I guess is a Chihuahua thing. When they get really excited, I just gave him a treat. I gave him a treat to keep him entertained while I do some grocery unpacking. You know, I felt like the last time I did that, the episode went so well, obviously. It wasn't just a negative hellhole of criticism of certain types of people or anything. Uh, no, but this one's going to be a little more positive. It's a good day. I just opened up a Bang Energy drink. And uh, I have to say, you know, the list keeps growing. The list keeps growing of people who I've convinced. And not, I haven't had to try, you know, just my simple recommendation. Like, I can tell people, like, you got to listen to this. You got to do this. So this. And nobody ever listens to me. But the amount of people who have told me that they are either they either have checked out Bang or they're going to check out Bang. It just keeps growing to the point where I don't know if I want to do this service for free anymore. I'm starting to think maybe I need to get a cut. I'm thinking I, I maybe need to get a cut of the, these Bang energy drinks I keep selling. Uh, and speaking of which, I, I haven't even started unpacking the groceries. And it probably sounds like I bought half the store with how long these episodes take me. But the reality is I'm so distracted by my Bang and my uh, recording an episode that I <laughs> that unpacking my groceries. What should take five minutes takes an hour. But what I was going to say real quick is, uh, well, first of all, like I'm drinking a, a Power Punch Bang. The flavor is Power Punch, which is one of the best flavors. You know, next to Miami Cola, which if I'm at the Miami Cola store, I'm going to get Miami Cola. But if Miami Cola isn't available, chances are I might get a Power Punch and a Cherry Blade Lemonade. And that's what I got today because it's a two for four. So I got Power Punch and Cherry Blade Lemonade, which are actually very pleasant. Those flavors are very pleasant. And I'll be totally honest, you know, there's a lot of bang flavors that aren't. There's a lot of bang flavors that aren't entirely pleasant. And that's that's kind of the art of the bang. You know, you've, you've heard of the art of the deal. Well, this is the art of the bang. And it's the reality that some of the bang flavors are disgusting. And that's the art of the bang. And I think I've mentioned before that the very first flavor I ever had was cotton candy. And, and that, as you can imagine, like artificial cotton candy, I mean, cotton candy was something I liked as a kid, you know, real cotton candy, but even real cotton candy to me doesn't sound good anymore. So the idea of artificial cotton candy, like, you know, they used to make that cotton candy bubble gum. I'm sure they still make it. That was disgusting. So you can imagine like a liquid artificial cotton candy energy drink isn't great. Yet that was my introduction to bang and I kept coming back. So what does that mean? It means the art of the bang is real. You take the good with the bad and you keep going. But in addition to, you know, maybe wanting a little cut, I think I might want a little piece. I might want to wet my beak with some of these bang sales that I'm generating. In addition to that, I'm a little worried. <laughs> I'm a little worried, you know, like... Uh, like my friend Brent here, my, my buddy Brent, he he seems like he's becoming quite the enthusiast. And, you know, it's like introducing your friend to any drug where, you know, you want to have a you want to have somebody who does it with you. You know, you want to have somebody who's drinking. You want to know that, you know, your buddies are drinking bang, too, but you don't want to be responsible for, you know, a dependency or an addiction. And I kind of like the word dependency more than addiction. 
But, uh, you know, speaking of Brent, he let me know. He told me to check out the Bang CEO. I'd never thought to research Bang. I had never, and I haven't touched a single grocery yet, um, but I had never thought to research Bang and, like, who owns it. Like, we were actually, we were talking about Bang. It was a Bang talk, and uh, which is not a city entitlement. Um, but we were talking, and I was like, you know, I wonder who the CEO even is. But sometimes I ask those questions without doing any research, and he told me, check him out. You're in for a treat. And sure enough, he is a monster. Like, sure enough, the, the CEO of Bang didn't just satisfy my imagination. He exceeded it. He is ripped. He's, he's a 50-something. I don't know how old he is. He looks like he's probably in his 50s. He looks. He takes steroids for sure. He's got hair plugs. He's ripped. And every photo of him is monstrous. And then, like, too, like, it turns out, like, there was a rumor, there was an urban legend that isn't true, but there was an urban legend that every can of Bang donated a, donated a portion to Trumpsfeld's political campaign, which I had no idea. I mean, I, I had no idea there was some kind of Trumpsfeld rumor about Bang. My interest in Bang is apolitical. But the, the CEO of Bang, it turns out, is a big Trumpsfeld supporter, which is unsurprising. Like, if you see him, you can't imagine that guy supporting anybody else. Um, but uh, when I saw him, what it immediately reminded me of is the CEO of Abercrombie & Fitch, which it's a very similar experience that I went through around 2004, I'd say it was. <laughs> I hope that's accurate. I hope I remember the exact year that I'm talking about here. But uh, around 2004, an article came out about the Abercrombie. Hey, hey, come on. Hey, hey, come on. I gave you a treat. Batty, hey, come on. You're going to get sprayed. Um, but an article came out about the Abercrombie and Fitch CEO and the photo of him. Again, the only word that comes to mind. Hey, you're really going to get sprayed. Um... Again, um, but uh, the, the Abercrombie CEO, there was a photo of him and he had bleached hair. I mean, he's an old guy. He's an older <laughs> dude. Not today. Um, he, an older man, middle aged, at least at the time, bleached, spiked hair. The body of a, you know, a fairly in shape, like, like a muscular young man, like you can imagine he had kind of probably a saggy Ric Flair body under, <laughs> underneath his clothes, but fake tan, wearing like a polo shirt, probably Abercrombie, distressed jeans and thong sandals, underwear sandals, sitting on a bench. But And that was all like well and good. Like it was like, oh, that's an in-shape older man. That's an older man who works out. But then when you look at his head, this gigantic bloated head, he, he looked like Gary Busey, but Botoxed and like pumped full of saline solution. And I like Gary Busey. Like I'm not one of these people who trashes Gary Busey. Gary Busey is an artist. And I mean that like Gary Busey is a genuinely compelling character. And I like him and relate to him. You know, he comes up with all these little sayings of his own, these acronyms and things. And like everybody trashes Gary Busey, but I, I, 
he, you know, I grew up watching Point Break. I grew up watching a lot of his movies. He played Buddy Holly. I'm a Gary Busey fan, legitimately. And so I'm not one of these people who's like, Gary Busey much? Oh, uh, you know who's weird? Gary Busey. Of course he's weird. That's why I like him. Um, but anyway, the Abercrombie CEO, it's like you took like a, a bloated, Botoxed, terrifying version of Gary Busey's head, gave him like a young man's haircut circa 2004, put him on like this smaller but muscular body, and it's just monstrous. I recommend looking it up, but... You, all pictures of him are monstrous, but the particular one I'm talking about is from an article where he's sitting on a uh, a bench in thong sandals, underwear sandals, and I just I got a very similar vibe from the Bang CEO. It's like where the CEO is this monstrous version that you're not entirely surprised. It's like a monstrous version of his product. It's like he is his product, and so I I'm just glad to know that. Um, all right, I'm going to start, uh, start unpacking groceries here for atmosphere. You know, got to have some atmospheric sounds here. You know, not, not that Batty, I mean, Batty's providing plenty of atmosphere. Where'd that treat go? He couldn't have eaten that that quick. You know, sometimes he hides his treats. Sometimes he eats his treats right away. A lot of times he hides them, but, uh. So it's Dolly Parton's birthday, which is, you know, a holiday for me. And there's this succession of birthdays in the winter that are important to me. And, you know, my, my older sister's birthday is in early November. You know, of course, both, you know, both my sisters, their birthdays are very important to me. You know, my older sister was born in early November and my younger sister was born in the spring. But there's this succession of birthdays that begins in the winter and it, just a, a succession of holidays, really, for me, and it, it starts with Christmas, of course, and then uh, then you have uh, my birthday, December twenty seventh. You have my birthday, and then then you have New Year's Eve. Then you have New Year's Day. Then my dad's birthday is January fifth. Elvis's birthday is January eighth. Then. Uh, uh, then there's a little break. There's a little breather after you need. You need to have a little breather after Elvis's birthday. Let me tell you. And then Dolly Parton's birthday is January nineteenth today. Then January twenty first is my mom's birthday, which is going to be a special, an extra special day for me, because as I may have mentioned, like the death anniversary is kind of. I just don't feel the need to celebrate the death anniversary. And that's not new to me. Like my friend Ryan, who died when I was 16, or I was 15, he was 16. Uh, you know, he he died on November 16th, 2001. But his birthday was September 16th. So on September 16th, I always think about Ryan. Uh, I don't see the need to really, like, I'm aware of the fact that he died on November 16th, but I don't feel the need to like, I don't know. I just think about it, but I don't really do anything. Death anniversaries are just what they are. And so this year it was very much that for my mom, where like my mom's death anniversary was December 10th, but her birthday, January 21st, is going to be a big day for me. That's when I really celebrate her life when she was birthed into this world. And, uh, and then January 23rd is my childhood best friend Nick's birthday. So there's this succession of birthdays. 
And then, of course, you know, there's other important people whose birthdays, you know, it's not like other people's birthdays aren't important, but there's something to me about winter and these important figures, both personally as well as, you know, because in, in so many ways, when it, when, when it comes to not just country music, not just popular music, I see Elvis as very much the king, and I see Dolly Parton as the queen. And I wasn't raised being a fan of either of those people. And, and you know, of course, I've talked about them at length. You know, this isn't, this certainly isn't the first time I've probably said these things, but, you know, I, I wasn't raised on Elvis or Dolly Parton or country music or anything like that. My parents did not listen to that stuff. Nobody in my life cared about those things. Like, it wasn't like I was raised hating them. It wasn't like my parents sat me down as a kid and were like, you know what? This family hates Elvis. And we hate Dolly Parton. It wasn't anything like <laughs> like that. It was just a non-entity. I knew who they were. Of course, uh, I grew up and I didn't know who Elvis and Dolly Parton were. No, I, I, I just grew up and it was just a non-entity. And my own taste wouldn't have brought me there either until I was a little bit older. But for whatever reason, both of those artists were part of like my life epiphany some years back. And... Uh, I guess finding out, too, that they're both Capricorns. I think finding out that Elvis and Dolly Parton are both Capricorns like me makes it all about me. No, but I, and I don't know. I just feel like them being the product of winter while also being these powerful figures. And those people really are like gods that walk among us. Because sometimes I'll call Dolly Parton a queen or a goddess. And I don't mean that in like the gaiman way. You know, I don't mean that like, you know, when a, when a gay man says like, uh, yes, queen, oh my God, queen, you know, and that's totally great. Like, like, I think it's awesome that gay men feel that way and I relate, but not, a, you know, not in that same way. I don't really know what that means to them, and I, but I think it's totally cool they feel that way. But I'm, I'm just clarifying for my own sake that when I say... Dolly Parton is a queen or a goddess. It's not in this fabulous kind of way. I just legitimately see her as a sort of demigoddess in the same way that Elvis is a demigod. And the, the key difference between Elvis and Dolly Parton among many for me uh, is that I was, you know, I wasn't alive when Elvis was alive. I never walked to the earth at the same time as Elvis. Whereas Dolly Parton is very much alive, God bless her. And sometimes you wonder about history. You know, you wonder about, about people who came before you, people who were larger than life, which Dolly Parton certainly is. And you almost wonder, like, what was it like to be alive at the same time as that person? You know, we're so used to seeing people like that through the lens of history, and history magnifies those people. And it's not like I keep tabs on everything Dolly Parton is doing. I'm actually a bigger fan I mean, her first LP and, and the B-sides, because, you know, Hella, like what made me such a Dolly Parton fan was the Hello, I'm Dolly LP, which is her first album. And I just stumbled upon it randomly. I wouldn't have, I, I would have, I thought Dolly Parton was cool before that, but I didn't, I wouldn't have considered myself quite the fanatic I am now by any means. And so when I, when I discovered her first LP, that it blew my mind. It really, truly, it was one of those thunderstruck moments where my life was never the same after that. 
just the quality of songwriting, the simplicity of it. You know, it's amazing, you know, how simplicity can be completely, that word becomes completely meaningless if a performance is of a certain magnitude. And that's how I think of Hello, I'm Dolly, the first LP. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, because I'm, I don't care how I hear things, you know, CD, MP3, you know, LP, it's all nature. You know, I've been, I've been hitting upon that point lately. And it's like, to me, vinyl is no more natural than an MP3. I like it all. I love vinyl, but I'm happy to listen to an MP3 too. It doesn't really make a difference to me. And so with that in mind, like I also don't really care about first editions. I don't care about original copies necessarily. If it's an album though, like I like to own it if I like it. And I prefer it to have the original artwork and that, that sort of thing. But in terms of like first edition and all that doesn't really make a difference. So I got a reissue of Hello, I'm Dolly early on, you know, around this time that I was thunderstruck by Dolly Parton by her first album, I was able to get a, um, a reissue of the first LP. And of course this reissue is old now itself, but it came with a, it, it was actually a double LP because it came with a second LP of B sides, quote unquote B sides, because these things are as a sided as anything you've ever heard. And so I have this double album of early Dolly Parton and it's all just unbelievably good. So that, that played a role in, in my entire outlook on Dolly, just the level of quality of that first album. And it's often overlooked, you know, it's, um, cause you know, like as much as like, I try not to fall into the traps, you know, I, I am a person who genuinely prefers artists early work. And there's, you know, people get pushback on that. They're like, oh, I, I only like the early stuff. People make fun of you for that. People give you pushback about that. They're like, oh, so you only like the early stuff. And there's a reason for that. You know, it's not true. It's not absolutely true. You know, I, I like what I like. I'll like an entire discography if need be, <laughs> if need be. But, you know, the reason why I believe artists and bands' early albums are often better is because they were building up to that. They were fighting for that. They were inspired for that moment. The reason why they do what they do was because of that initial momentum. And like I mentioned in a recent episode, bands and artists, once they start doing something, they get into this mindset where they're like, oh, I have to keep doing this. And sometimes that works. Sometimes they genuinely need to keep doing it. But other times it becomes kind of like this obligation. And while they might still be good, that initial magic or momentum isn't there. And of course, Dolly Parton has continued to be a, a, spe a spectacular artist. Uh, but this first album, you know, it's less produced, you know, because as, as wonderful as her, her material is, like, you know, because I mean, I, I love, um, just a sec here, doing some freezer work. We call this doing a little freezer work. Um, but, uh, you know, as much as I'm a a fan of pretty much anything she does. I don't know. I, I haven't really paid attention to stuff she's done more recently. Um, but, uh, you know, like her, you know, I, I will always love, I will always love you. Like, I will always love that. I think that's just such a beautiful performance. I like Jolene, you know, it's not like I dismiss her most popular work nine to five. You know, I have, 
that stuff is great as well. But it's like that first Dolly Parton LP and then having this weird double LP edition with these B-sides and rarities from the same era. Everything I want is in that. Like if I'm in the mood for Dolly Parton, everything I want is in that. Uh, and uh, her second LP is good as well. Uh, but uh, to me, like there's so, there's a certain magic to that first album. There's a certain momentum. So that's where a lot of my taste in her comes from. But not at the expense of her later work. Not at the expense of her more popular work when in the, from the 1970s. But like my favorite Dolly Parton is when she had the beehive hair when she was young. And it's weird, too, because, you know, I don't really have a sexual attraction to Dolly Parton. And uh, I don't know why that is. Because, you know, because she's very attractive. And it might be because I kind of see her as some kind of walking, living goddess. And can you really have a sexual attraction to a real goddess? I don't know. Because uh, I, I like plenty of blondes. There's plenty of blondes I like. And, you know... While I like the raven-haired Fran Drescher, uh, I don't know. I just, I've never felt a sexual attraction to even young Dolly Parton. I wouldn't be able to explain why that is. I just don't feel it. Uh, but she, I don't know. She, she's nonetheless beautiful. She's nonetheless hot. You know, she, she's uh, everything. But I guess that's not part of my appeal. That's not part of the appeal for me. Um, like I don't feel entirely honestly. I don't feel entirely different in a way. Like like thinking about her and Elvis. Like I was talking to Miles about this recently, where it's like, if you think Brad Pitt is handsome and you're a guy, a straight male, you're not gay. But if you think Chris Pratt is handsome and you call yourself a straight male, you might be gay. Like, that's a, that's a sort of phenomenon I've experienced where it's like, if you're a straight male and you can't understand why Brad Pitt is handsome, you're in denial about something. Like, Brad Pitt is just obviously a handsome guy. I mean, if you find yourself, like, looking at pictures of him, staring longingly at pictures of him, you know, there might be something going on. But, like... I know from having close female friends, they'll be like, oh, this, this guy, they'll talk about an actor or a guy they know, and, and they're like, he's so hot, and I'm just like, I don't, you're, you're speaking a foreign language to me. But if, they, if they're talking about, like, like, Brad Pitt, it's just like, you'd have to be in heavy denial to not understand just why he is an aesthetically handsome person. And it's kind of the same thing with, like, Elvis. Like, Elvis is obviously a handsome guy. And, you know, but, and Dolly Parton is obviously a beautiful woman, but in the same way that like, for me, it's not like there's in saying like Elvis is a handsome guy, there's no sexual attraction, but oddly enough, I feel the same way about Dolly Parton. It's almost like they're on a different level. They're, it's like they exist on a different plane where my puny human self, like, doesn't see them as like, there's just no, there's no like possibility of compatibility with someone like her and like and going back to the idea of like walking the earth with someone like that you know it feels like this you know you know what I mean like you can imagine like your grandkids someday being like what was it like to walk the earth with Dolly Parton and you'd go well it feels kind of like this 
like when I was in, it reminds me when I was in college, uh, there was a kid, a kid started going to my college who, uh, his older brother was in a popular metal band from that time period, mid two thousands. His, his brother was in a band that was kind of the, the hot metal band of the moment. And a lot of people were gave a shit about this guy. And I never met the little brother, but a friend of mine from high school ended up going to college with me. And we were talking about the fact that this kid was at our school. And my friend was like, I wonder what it's like to have him as a brother. And I said, probably just like having a brother. And I think that's kind of what it's like, you know, with people like Dolly Parton, where it's, it's not like she's actually glowing, although she kind of does glow. And it's not like I've met her. Like, I'm sure there's a charisma, I'm sure there's a power to someone like Dolly Parton, or Elvis for that matter. You know, I'm sure that that's a part of it. And even though I'm saying all this stuff about how these people are demigods and demigoddesses and our puny human sexuality has no compatibility with them, I'm sure it's just like, uh, you know, she's a person and she's walking the earth right now. And I think that's the most spectacular thing of all. That's the most spectacular thing of all when someone almost achieves this higher plane within their human selves is that they are still a human. They are still just on the earth doing their thing. And I think they would tell you as much. You know, I think that they would be, you know, as, as uh, just a sec here. Um, I, I think they would be as likely to tell you that as anybody. But there does feel, there's also something special about it. So it's not like it's one or the other, where like simply being alive at the same time as somebody like that. And I think we all have our versions of that. You know, I wouldn't expect everybody to feel that way about Dolly Parton. Um, but uh, she, uh, just a second. Call that doing a little bag. It's what we call doing a little bag work. Uh, but anyway, I don't know. I mean, I don't have much. I don't have too much more to say about her. Uh, I don't have too much more to say about her. Uh, but uh, it's just one of those things where you know, it's like it's this combination of yeah, things are totally human. We are totally human, all of us. But yet, some people do manage to reach this higher level. And what that is, I don't know. I think it, it depends. And I mean, I think people pick up on it, though. I think there's a reason why Dolly Parton has that significance for a broad array of people. And, you know, I know some people see her as a feminist icon. And uh, what I like, though, is that it's not she just is exactly what she is. And that's the sort of environment I was raised in where I'm done with the groceries. I'm looking for Batty here Let's see where he went. Um but, you know, while I completely understand why she's this, you know, liberated woman who did things her own way and wrote many of her own songs, had her own power. Um, while I, you know, I readily understand that. Like, t she, to me, she represents exactly what a liberated woman should be, where it's not necessarily something she has to, oh, there he is, there he is. Hey, buddy. Um... He's in his bat bed. You heard of a bat cave? Well, check out the bat bed. Um, 
But I guess with Dolly Parton, it doesn't feel like something that she has to hammer home, even though many of her themes have to deal with her independence. And I don't even like veering into this territory. And I guess like one reason I like that is because that's the environment I was raised in. You know, I was raised in my day-to-day household with my mom and sister. And, you know, my sister was something of a hippie. And my mom, you know, came of age in the 1960s. She graduated high school in 1966. So she was the perfect age to have participated in what we know of as the 1960s. You know, what we think of as like the stereotypical youth hippie revolution. But yet, I don't know, my mom didn't do that. Like, I never heard the word feminism growing up in my house. You know, I, I heard allusions to like female independence and things, but like it wasn't something that needed to be hammered home because both my mom and sister were living that. You know, both, and in particular my mom, she, you know, after she split up with my dad, she never remarried or dated, which, you know, was her own decision. But uh, she very much embodied independence. She very much embodied what people want feminism to be But it wasn't a word she had to use. It wasn't something she had to hammer home. She simply lived it. And I I guess I could make... And and maybe, you know, Psych 101 has done so much damage. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm about to compare my mom to Dolly Parton. And uh, I can just imagine some phantom chiming in and being like, Oh, so the reason why you're not sexually attracted to Dolly Parton is because you see her as more of a mother figure. She reminds you of your mother. And I, I, I people have, people are going to look back on that way of thinking and just uh, mockingly laugh, because that's what I'm doing already. But no, I, I do see a parallel between Dolly Parton and my mom, because they both came from rough backgrounds. They both really had to do things on their own. They both had to make something of themselves completely on their own. They came from nothing... And really had to, they're survivors, you know, and not survivors in the sense that they survived some sort of trauma necessarily or anything like that. Some sort of, in my mom's case, I don't think there was like a direct trauma, but she witnessed it. She witnessed trauma. And in witnessing trauma as a kid, you, I mean, that's trauma in and of itself. So that was something she had to contend with. And like, so these are self-made women, you know, and I think... When somebody truly is a self-made woman, and I'm, I'm out of my depth here, I'm out of my depth here, but this is just my observation. So, it is, you know, while my depth might be shallow, this is my observation. But I feel that when someone truly is a self-made woman who came from dirt, in my mom's case, you know, she grew up on a farm. So it's like she really was in the dirt, a poor, you know, destitute farmer family from Missouri. And, uh, you know, I think when you come from the dirt like that, you know, I don't think there's necessarily a need to like use isms. And and I might might be wrong. Dolly Parton in interviews might very well talk about feminism. She might very well throw that out. But she's not like Lilith Fair. And I have no beef with with Lilith Fair. Uh, I have no beef. With, <laughs> I have no beef with Lilith Fair, just in case you were wondering. I got no beef with Lilith Fair. Um, I think Lilith Fair is probably pretty refreshing by today's standards. But uh, 
you know, thinking about Dolly Parton though, it's like it's it's like she didn't need to go the Lilith Fair route, and she made something of herself in a genre where there's this kind of stereotype. Like you think about her being involved with country. And she probably did get pushback. Like there were probably people in the late 60s and early 70s or even later who said, oh, she's a little too independent. She's spreading, a, she's spreading the wrong message to young women that you can, uh, you can be your own star. She needs, to, she needs to hang out in the kitchen a little bit more. You know, I don't doubt that there were people who thought that. I've just never seen it. And my exposure to the spectrum of Dolly Parton's fans suggests otherwise to me and maybe that's something that accumulated later like maybe it took a while for her to be popular but given she was involved in country and there's this stereotype about rednecks and conservatives you know not wanting women to do their thing it's interesting that dolly parton ended up being arguably the most popular artist in that genre and she's somebody who all kinds of people all kinds of people like I have uh, I have a cousin I guess kind of a cousin through marriage who's a woman who's quite a bit older than me and a few years ago I talked to her about Dolly Parton and she's you know she's a Trumpsfeld supporter she's you know all of that but it's like Dolly Parton manages to speak to people across a spectrum she manages to transcend social and political ideology for sure while representing the essence of female liberation. And it doesn't even feel like liberation, it just seems what she is. It doesn't seem like she's even necessarily fighting, she's just speaking and uh, telling her story exactly as it is and how she feels and representing who she is. And that's just how I feel about it. I don't even like talking this way. I really don't like talking this way. I like talking about Bang Energy Drink CEO I like talking about how the, the Abercrombie and Fitch CEO looks like a freakish Gary Busey severed head placed on a young man's body. You know, I like talking about that. Um, but uh, just this is how I see Dolly Parton on her birthday. I don't see her as even though she's very strong and forceful, I don't see her as heavy handed. And, and forceful is the wrong word because I don't think that she forces anything. I think she just has a certain strength. And I, and I think through that, through that confidence and through that ability, she has managed to bridge many gaps. And I think that's what makes her a goddess. I think that's what makes her a queen is the fact that she speaks to many different people. Like I know all kinds of people. Actually, I would say that Dolly, I, I can connect with more people I know about Dolly Parton than I can almost anybody else, more than Elvis. Maybe there was a time when, when Elvis would have played that role, but it seemed like the longer that he's dead, the less people seem to really, uh, I don't know, the, le the less people identify with him. I hope that's not true. I hope that's not true, but uh, I, think it's, I think it is true. I hope it's not true, but it is true. Um, with Dolly Parton, like, I've managed to connect with so many different people. I can connect with people I know who are outspoken feminists. I can connect with conservative country music fans. You know, I, I, it, it doesn't really make a difference. She transcends all of these different roles that we ourselves are in. And you don't feel like less of a man for listening to Dolly Parton. 
You know, you don't feel like a wimp. You actually feel as a man, as a man who exhibits total toxic masculinity, <laughs> you know, I still feel like a man. I still feel like I still feel like everything that I am. When I say Dolly Parton is a goddess and, and she speaks to me on some level. And the fact that she can transcend politics, transcend culture. To me, that is the sign of a demigod or demigoddess. That to me is the sign of something that makes her larger than just a human, even though she is a human just walking the earth with all of us. And she would probably hear what I'm saying. I know she listens to this show. <laughs> I know she listens to this show. I know she drinks Bang Energy Drink. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, she would probably hear this and be like, you're off your rocker, dude. I'm just, a, I'm just Dolly. And that's what makes her so great is through all this stuff, you know, through everything that I've said about her, through all this grandiosity, talking her up in all these different ways, she is ultimately a humble person. Despite looking and sounding larger than life, despite being so original, truly an original, she is so humble. And that's what reinforces the fact that she is godlike. That's what reinforces. And, and when I say that, I mean like you can imagine the pantheon. She's, she's part of a pantheon. And my personal pantheon, like it's not limited to Elvis and Dolly Parton. I think those are just two of the, you know, Roy Orbison is there. A lot of people are there. <laughs> it's a pretty big pantheon. And, and it's not limited to pop culture. It's not limited to popular music. Obviously, there are figures in my own personal pantheon that are obscure. You know, uh, Rob Darkin is there. Nick Blinko is there. You know what I mean? Varg is there. You know, it's it's a whole array of people. Uh, but I think that I, I tend to put those two, I tend to put Elvis and Dolly on a platform because in the last, you know, 70 years of American culture, I think they are people that everybody can immediately look at and understand there are two people that, you, that everybody can immediately look at and recognize. Yeah, I understand what you mean. I understand what they represent. Enjoy, whether you enjoy their music, don't enjoy their music, whether you find them compelling or not compelling. I think most people can understand why those people represent something to someone like me, as well as all kinds of other people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And that's pretty impressive. At the very least, you can say these people are impressive. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how it is. The groceries are all have been done for quite a few minutes. I got stuff I got to do today. But I did want to, I, you know, I wanted to say something about Dolly Parton, even though I've gone on tangents about her before. I didn't talk about Elvis this year. I don't think I did an Elvis episode this year. I've done those before. There's no need to do it every year. But those are holidays to me, and they're part of this succession of important days that begin in winter for me and include my own birthday. And the fact that Dolly Parton and Elvis are both Capricorns, I don't know. I like that. You know, and I mean, I share a birthday with Bill Goldberg and uh, China. 
<laughs> I found that out as a kid that I share a birthday with the pro wrestlers Bill Goldberg and China. So, so you know, my birthday's got a lot going on. But these people, I don't know, they, they, they just, they, I don't even feel like I forced their significance into my life. I think I just had to accept it. And I'm not, I'm not talking about Bill Goldberg in China anymore. I'm talking about Dolly and Elvis. But they're part of the Pantheon, and, and their statues, I think, are particularly big. And they haven't gotten smaller to me. Those statues haven't shrank. And sometimes statues do shrink. Sometimes they do shrink. And I mean... You know, Glenn Danzig is obviously in that pantheon. And last year he paid tribute to Elvis. So you can see that Elvis is in Glenn Danzig's pantheon. There's pantheons within pantheons, dude. That's the crazy thing about this world is that somebody might be in your pantheon, but they have a pantheon. Pantheons within pantheons. Let's leave it at that. I like that idea. Let's leave it at... Pantheons within pantheons. Capricorn season is coming to a close. Tomorrow's the Inog. And it's, it's not me failing to pronounce eggnog. It's tomorrow's the Inog. And that to me, there's no pantheon there. To me, the inauguration couldn't be further away from my own personal pantheon. If it matters to somebody, and I mean, I mean that for every year. I'm not even talking about this inauguration. I see a presidential inauguration as theatrical and forced. Those people aren't gods. Those people aren't goddesses. They're not demigods. Despite their title, despite their power, they are not kings and queens. And I mean that every year, every four years. Those people don't invite themselves. I guess I guess those people do. Like when I think about presidents and vice presidents, they they invite themselves to your party. They try to force their way into your pantheon. And I was talking about how people like Elvis and Dolly Parton, you just kind of have to accept that they are inevitably part of your pantheon for me at least. You know, I don't expect anybody else to feel the same way. But for that, it's just kind of accepting the fact. Like, I had to accept the fact that Elvis and Dolly Parton were part of my personal pantheon and part of many people's. But presidents and vice presidents, they invite themselves to your party. And you can get tricked into thinking they're the guest of honor when they're really not. So tomorrow, to me, you know, every four years, every presidential inauguration has nothing to do with my personal pantheon. Whereas these other people naturally find their way in. And they do so with great humility. And I believe that's often what's lacking from these people who invite themselves to the party, is they seem to lack a certain humility. They lack honesty. And I know I'm not saying anything mind-blowing. But I think that's why those people don't belong in my pantheon and why they can't trick me. Because with these other people who are part of my personal pantheon, which isn't limited to musicians, I know I've all the names that I've mentioned are people who are musicians, and there are many more, you know, uh, there's many more musicians as well as other people, as well as artists, there's all kinds of people.
And the statues vary in sizes. You know, the statues in my personal pantheon, they vary in size. And they also include people who nobody's ever heard of who I just happen to be friends of mine. My friends are part of that too. My friends are part of that pantheon. My family. Probably not any acquaintances. <laughs> I don't think any acquaintances have really made their way in. Maybe. Depends on how you define acquaintance. Definitely some strangers, though. Probably some strangers. We're just going off. We're just... We're just going, we're spiraling off into, into stupid details here. But think about your personal pantheon. Think about the big statues, the little statues. And remember that nobody can invite themselves into that. And I don't think that you can invite them either. And then remember, too, that you might have your pantheon, but there are pantheons within pantheons. Hey.